Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a podcast where we have been comparing the critically lampooned movies of one Michael Bay and others, and the critically acclaimed comics by James Roberts. And we finished both of those, and then we talked to James Roberts. He was kind enough to give us his time. And uh, then something very... In the hours before that interview, something very annoying came to light, which we'll, we'll tell you about in a second. But first, my name is Matt Waters, and I'm joined by Ben Phillips for this bonus episode. Benjamin, how are you? I'm good. I've replaced obsessively watching Michael Bay Transformers <laughs> movies with obsessively watching every single Saw movie, in yeah. case you're wondering whether or not I need to keep punishing myself. He will find with... something. Don't worry about Ben. Ben will I, always find also, a way to hurt himself. <laughs> I also could be watching the entirety of Bojack Horseman and Mindhunter. Mm. Okay. Neither of which I've switched on at this point. Right, so, right. Did you finish all the IDW Transformers books in the end? Uh, I have got uh, just... I've I've got to. You are going to uh, finish it, right, Ben? You're not just going to be like, "Well, now the podcast is done. What's the fucking point?" No, I I went away on holiday and I took some books with me and I read those two books and I was like, "Oh my god, okay. it's so nice not reading uh, picture books essentially, yeah, not to yeah. not to denigrate comics." Um, and then I have the only one left is Unicron, and then also I'm going to read Last <laughs> Spot Standing. So that, okay, that's, that's, that's that's what good. I've got. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so basically, about two hours before we were set to interview James, I was just like, you know, right, I should, I should eat, I should do whatever, I should tidy my office a little bit. We obviously used the notebooks that he's made available, uh, the ones that I, I have for Volume 1 and Volume 2. We used them to help with the podcast, because uh, they're just some little insights into what was going through his mind when he planned this, some stuff that he initially planned and didn't do, etc., etc., I also, you may recall, when we did the episode that features the, the sort of countdown and the count up, like either side of an event, and we don't know what the event is until the end. I have uh, When we did that episode, I said, I own the script for this. And that's because at some point, James auctioned off some scripts for a good cause. He signed them, uh, and I, I picked up three. And when we did that issue, I remembered to dig that out, because they do have some comments in the margins of like, oh yeah, basically a, a forerunner to the notebook so it's just kind of him looking back on them and going oh yeah this this was supposed to go like this um i did that for that first one and then i forgot to do it for the other two that i own and i when i first got them i just quickly flipped through them and like that's really cool and then i put them somewhere very safe <laughs> so they didn't get damaged and then i thought you know what i should probably read those two scripts in these couple of hours before the interview and I, I thumbed through one of them, and it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Nothing tremendously groundbreaking. And then I pick up <laughs> Lost Light, <laughs> issue 13, Sardines, which is the issue where they're all trapped in the shrinking ship, and they're all getting on each other's nerves. And it's a fun... There's some fun, like, cutscenes and, and little comments. And then I get towards the back of the damn thing. <laughs> and... It turns out this is the first issue he wrote from completely from scratch after he learned that the book was going to be ending at issue 25 instead of, you know, he wanted to go to like 43, which would have made 100 or, or, or whatever. 
Uh, so when he learned they were cutting some things short, I was like, oh, okay, that makes that slightly more interesting as a script, like thinking that instead of like writing and not knowing he'd run out of road. And then I keep reading on <laughs> and it has a memo he sent to IDW saying, this is the entire plot that I want to do. This is everything that has been important up to now. And it is all annotated heavily and it features a few little morsels about alternate versions of the ending and a couple of aborted storylines. It's not, like, the the notebooks he's going to put out next year will be way more detailed than this, so everything we're about to talk about will be left in the dust, like, within a year, probably. (laughs) But it was like, wow, wonderful. Of course I find this, like, on the eve of doing this interview. Yeah, you were literally, like, we were prepping for the interview, like, making food, and you were texting me this all throughout, and it was just, like, (laughs) bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. And then we got to do the interview, and he started using, like, phrases and terminology from, like, within the descriptions. Like, he drops, like, the myth arc, which is obviously, like, an (laughs) X-Files reference, in the middle of the interview, which is, like, you explaining all of the like breadcrumbs that he'd left across the, mm. the, the 60 issues or whatever it was yeah. at that point. There was a mild moment of panic that you put to me of like, wait, are you the only person in the world that has this? <laughs> and we did ask him, and no, there are, I don't know how many copies of each script were made available, I think somewhere between three and five, but we did a quick Google search, we couldn't find anyone had like posted these details before us, so we asked his blessing before the interview if we could go through some of this stuff and he very kindly said yes go it's, for it. it's, so. it's just very funny that it's been given to us two people who are not like tf wiki editors <laughs> or like big on tumblr because i feel like that's probably a way better yeah. way to disseminate this information it's also just infuriating because i've had these fucking things sitting on my shelf carefully in like a little envelope to keep them safe for years and I, you know, forget the podcast. I would have just liked to have known some of this information when I was reading the damn books for the first time and like, oh my God, what would have happened if he'd gotten a few more issues? And it's like, the answers were just sitting there, or some <laughs> of them. And I didn't know until we were about to do this interview. So there you go. So yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting that you know, some of the issues were like part way complete. Some of them were like in no way written, but like they had been fully plotted. So it was considered too late to change things. So there were certain elements in like the Trojan Major arc and the Mutineers trilogy that, you know, he knew when those were being finished, but like this is the first script where like the entire thing, custom made, start to finish, is is with that intention. So yeah, we're it it's probably not gonna be a long one, but um well you'll know that when you're listening to this what the runtime is, and every time I say that we end up going long. But we're just gonna pick out a few Just fun be things. glad that this was not the end of the <laughs> finale episode, because th- th- if you had picked it up a little bit earlier, I we would have covered this. Well yeah, I would have would... ideally incorporated it into that episode, but that episode was two hours forty five before I took a knife to it in the edit, and I think it was two fifteen in the end or something like that. But yeah, we would have been recording like all goddamn night, but yeah, so yeah, he you know, he finds out this information, he writes a memo to IDW, he says, you know, if we're ending at twenty-five, I would like the full twelve issues, and I would also like an annual or a special to tie everything together, every plot thread, every member of the cast that's been scattered to the wind, and I want to do an ending. And he I assume that would have been like another forty pages then, so like My guess is that what is the final issue twenty-five, where they're all gathering at the funeral and asking did it work and we're seeing the sort of three time periods or whatever i think that was supposed to be this final kappa annual special and that the book itself was supposed to run plot heavy all the way up to the end 
and then it's like end take some time this is separate many years later here's who, where they all ended up there's nothing to say that is true or not but like that is my feeling based on the material that is here and that he wanted a special that he didn't get i mean yeah. that that would make sense it would be I guess the issue is is they're trying to wrap up everything because Unicron's yeah. happening at the same time and Optimus yeah. Prime is kind of like given over its entirety to to Unicron at that point. There isn't a... No one got to do like a special actual farewell issue, did they? Like there is, It's not like issue six of Unicron is like a... Uh, let's reflect on, on 15 years worth of continuity. Um, no, it's pretty clear that Unicron is the end of it all. But but you know that thing where it's like if if this was the end of something there would have been a like uh, Transformers Ultima or whatever like mm. a like a just a, a, a final point where you get like everyone coming in and doing like a a ten page story to kind of yeah, like yeah, cap yeah. off their thing. Well, I guess because they were doing the reboot, they weren't losing the license at that point. This was to to move over to the reboot story for whatever reason. I'm sure now that they've lost the license, those details may come out about why they really did it. I'm sure at the time they just said, you know, fresh, new, shake things up. Yeah, blah, I'm blah, sure blah. It's, it's the same thing as like what happened with the Ultimate Universe for Marvel. Yeah. It's like at a certain <laughs> point, yes, you intend to make this a more streamlined universe, but you end up having it become way more continuity heavy than yeah. than the original book was. And... Mm-hmm. You, you you like you you like no one can jump on at this point because like the law is the regular law but a little bit different and yeah. not that... collapse under the weight of a million minis and exactly then, yeah. Then, yeah, yeah yeah and not that more than meets the eye and lost like aren't like really good things for like people to jump in on but there is a level of like the new reader friendly book is seventy five issues deep at this point <laughs> what do you do because you can't yeah. really jump in at Lost Light 20 and go like, cool, you're going to have fun for five <laughs> issues. You're going to be massively no, confused. No, not at all. So you mentioned the myth art, which which James brought up. So X-Files was a procedural, you know, case of the week, occasionally a two-parter, but they were very gradually over many seasons putting in little tiny crumbs of a larger plot, which was referred to as the myth arc. As James said in the interview, as is written in this script, he referred to his own story that way. And, like, it read that way when we were reading it. Like, a lot of the time it is kind of wacky capers, and then it's like, what's this symbol that the scavengers have found and stuff like that? Yeah, it, um, it's it's very funny that he's reaching to what is kind of the the first show to do this, because obviously, <laughs> like, this is a, a template that will be followed by, like, so many shows. I feel like Buffy is the yeah, other big one yeah, where it's yeah. like it's monster of the week and then we will do the occasional kind of like big episode which then evolves into the the hbo renaissance of like the, mm. it's the wire it's sopranos which are entirely serialized and now yeah. that's what and then netflix tel- broke it with yeah you know, netflix all television is about the sopranos and, sopranos yeah, level yeah. of like stuff but like not enough happens each season and yeah. every season has to be a season rather than individual episodes yeah. and I, I, I wish we could have like a, a TV show structured like the X Files that would like do well nowadays. Yeah, I feel like a new generation of people are going to discover Buffy at some point and be like, "Oh, this show is really good." Don't look into the creator or <laughs> like two of the cast. Um, <laughs> although I gather they're all getting back together to do a radio play, and I don't know if uh, I'm Russ sure is certain, invited, certain but people are not invited. I'm maybe, sure, maybe. Yes, and because as he alluded to. They arguably waited too late to to tie off all of the larger plot in X-Files. He wanted to avoid doing the same. So that is why 
he was such a meticulous planner and he felt the only way to actually pull off a myth arc is to plot it really really tightly in the first place and that is why he's got enough notes to put out these giant notebooks and and we commented all the time about like tight planning versus improvisation and I, I feel like his best work actually came from using the map of his plan and then having to pivot into something because of oh hey you've got Megatron now and then that leads to some of the best stories in the book yeah I mean I, I think that's <laughs> the same thing that's true on television where I think like the the best seasons of shows like Lost are the ones which are kind of like quite improv heavy in terms of like oh no we've been thrown a writer strike how are we going to like write our way around the fact that we've lost three episodes yeah. or Breaking Bad's the same way like the probably the worst season of Breaking Bad is the one where they knew every single plot detail that was going to happen <laughs> in every single episode yeah, um, yeah. And, and like and Westworld was like notorious for like all they had was their reveal and people guessed it in week one yeah. So when they finally reveal it, it means nothing because we all solved it nine weeks ago. <laughs> yes, and and that's the thing is, I do think, I do think having it all plotted out is actually good for knowing what you're going to do. But yeah. you also but need then you to... can't stick to it too rigidly, otherwise. Yeah. Like it, again, like to, to bring television, like how many mother knows how that show is going to end <sighs> since like season two or three or whatever, and then the show gets renewed for like six seasons beyond where it becomes a tenable ending, and then they still stick to it and like <laughs> make up some women that the audience like more than who we end <laughs> up with, <laughs> like. Yeah, but yeah, that's a, like, there's there's history is littered with these examples of mm. like either shows that are like too improvised or like not improvised enough or mm. too plotted or not too or not plotted enough, and I do feel like ultimately like this more than meets the eye actually manages to straddle that line pretty well, yeah. and the the worst part of them bringing everything together is literally to a point where they they've just told him you've got a set amount of time to do it and he wasn't aware he'd have that set amount of time to yeah. do it and so it started like setting up other things hmm. which he like and again yeah. like, if, if they told him that lost light was it and 25 issues was all he's gonna have i'm sure like a bunch of stuff would get yeah. like chucked like i mean i think you said that the infinite was not a thing he would have touched on if yeah, yeah if he yeah. knew that lost light was it yeah, so as part of that, he wanted a... Again, this is straight from X-Files. They did a story so far where they just recapped the stuff that was part of the larger conspiracy. They they did a like montage edited together of every moment that made up part of this in a, like... You know, it's not previously on, but it's... Yeah, so he wanted to replicate that. And he actually kind of did in More Than Meets the Eye. Before the final volume, it's, they list out all the key plot points in, like, a a schism, a mutiny, or whatever, whatever. But yeah, he wanted, like, three or four full pages devoted to this. He didn't get it, but, I, you know, I'm not going to recap the entire book when we just spent however many episodes doing it, but I did find it interesting, a couple of bits from what he felt was important from the recap, like some comments that came with the recap. When Farmer is pulled through uh, on Luna 1, uh, the, the space bridge, and Farmer's corpse is dragged through the portal, and eventually he'll return as the Grand Architect, at one point in the planning, these tentacles were potentially Quintessons. His 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 preference in this order for the final villain of the entire book was the Functionist Council, who did end up as the final villains, Unicron, who he was always a little bit like, I don't know about Unicron, and then the Quintessons. So at one point it was the Quintessons. Um, I guess I guess that's him kinda of going like if if IDW or Hasbro come to us and say, Hey, you guys need like a big flashy hmm. tie in to Transformers the movie, mm. I'm in my back pocket. I can say that it's Unicron or the Quintessons. Yeah, like, there's 
I think there are little ideas in the notebooks that of like, oh, there's a horn sprouting out of a planet, and it's well, which is in the fucking movie, isn't it? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, stuff like that many years before it happened. Maybe they took that from that. There's also that we, we had the duplicate ship where where the DJD had massacred everybody. He wanted to make something of the fact that there wasn't a duplicate rung because he's so divine, he cannot be copied even by the quantum engines, but he didn't want to give it away. On a similar vein, Overlord and Rewind were locked in that shuttle, launched off into space. Oh, um, Chrome Dome blow them up to save Rewind. Overlord returns to the book and then walks out of it again. <laughs> uh, they were also going to have prepared original Rewind. I really don't know how you make all of that work, but he said a big story with many eyes that had to be cut um, involving, I guess this is what happens when, like, you know, Chrome Dome grieved for Rewind, met a new Rewind, they basically gradually formed their relationship and then original Rewind shows up. Like, how do you, what do you do with that? And maybe this yeah. is part of the whole, like, he's talked before about how, well, you asked him about, like... <laughs> yeah, and he, he basically we were like, he he was happy with the ending he gave them at the end of More mm. Than Meets the Eye, and so that's why they don't have a lot to do in Lost Light as, mm. like, main cast members. So I do think... Adding in that story is is mm. kind of like putting a hat on a hat on a hat. It sounds very of... difficult to make that work in a way that isn't like sad for the audience. But it... you know, they do they did that brief thing in the afterlife where they were like, you know, <laughs> the weirdest polycule you can imagine of two of the same person. <laughs> two rewinds, Chrome Dome and Dominus Ambus, all just in a in a, a quadruple. So maybe that's what became of that i really don't know maybe they all <laughs> formed a triad but i don't know yeah as you said the infinites were originally intended to be the main villains of season three so issues like one to 23 24 ish whatever something around there uh the, the infinites were intended as the main villains they end up just being like a thing that happens on trojan major with anode and lug and then they are present <laughs> for the big final battle but they don't really feel like they feel very set up and then not paid off, but that was because they were supposed to be like the main physical force. Uh, and indeed, when at the end of the Mutineers trilogy, Getaway and his Lost Light, you know, they reach Cyber Utopia. Uh, that was originally supposed to be they come out of the Warren and there is a fleet of infinites set upon them, kind of thing. It doesn't say what would have happened from there. <laughs> and I will say something I did find surprising in this. Between recapping what has happened so far and his plans for what was to happen from this issue onwards, there is very little mention of Getaway. Like, we speculated maybe there was supposed to be, like, a full mini-arc of retaking the Lost Light, let that breathe, and then go deal with the endgame. It may just be that, like, he didn't feel the need to comment on it or add it in, or he just said, no, fuck it, I guess Getaway will die somewhere in the battle. Uh, but yeah, no, very little mention of Getaway at all. None of the what we did see with like Rodimus carrying him out of the fire or anything. None of that is written in. I wonder if that's like, is that because that is part of the original plan where like the stuff that he's commenting on is well, what would have changed what the alternate yeah. paths, branching paths were going to be. Whereas like the actual climax to Getaway's storyline is basically what it was going to be. Mm. Um, and so there's no need to comment on it. It's just the Getaway yeah. ending is being stapled onto. The, the the season four ending or whatever like yeah. I I'm I intrigued know. how many how many issues we lost whether or not because well he said it, he said he wanted forty three and he got twenty five so 
about half the season. Okay, so like so fifteen. So you <laughs> you say that run. yes, you say that like he he ends twelve and it ends with infinite. He has like eight issues or so to kind of wrap up that, and then twenty three mm. to do uh, uh, to do a season four. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just part of aborting the the infinite's plotline was ejecting a, a giant getaway arc, and then he forgot to mention getaway and his plans for the ending. I really don't know. We'll find out next year. But yeah, I just found that kind of interesting. And and also like, so after recapping what has happened so far, he then lays out where he wants to go with it. And broad strokes of it are the same. There are a few things that are different. It's when you get towards the end that it gets dramatically different. So, yeah, there are there are elements that are just sort of like, yeah, beat for beat, this is what he did. I will say that one thing that he commented was, and I think we brought it up, the Galactic Council and the Black Block Consortia uh, never really felt fully fleshed out. That We know they're there and they have that one funny adventure with them with the hat and like it, it's in the annual and everything. But he really intended that to be a much larger thing. Um, and there was going to be a reveal that... So the Grand Architect and the Scorponok, they did all their experiments with techno-organic stuff, which leads to Scorponok having the horrifying embryo in his chest. They were going to reveal that they had basically engineered beings that look like whatever the hell the Galactic Council are, but with their agent sparks in them or whatever. And they were going to have infiltrated the Council, split the Black Block Consortia off from them, and then there's a, a civil war between those two factions to, like, gain pieces of space so that they can clear them out and, like, do the god gun and all that shit with the portal. Instead, they just feel like a background element that there is no room for, and, like, they kind of almost feel a bit, like, almost too much noise at times in the book. It's, it's one of those things where, like, you see it in TV shows as well, where, like, I'm thinking of, like, things like Lost, where you don't notice it as a dropped plot element or whatever until someone draws attention to it later, where, like, yeah. it you don't feel like they don't get a conclusion until someone goes to you and says, like, oh, yeah, like, they're around a lot, but they don't really get an ending in the same way that everyone else does. Mm -hmm. And you you realise it's, like, it's, it's a loop not being quite closed, but because they never leveled up to yeah. kind of like main antagonist you kind of yeah. are able to they, to... Ne they never said why libby is in the asylum <laughs> we're Again, watching yeah. lost <laughs> it's but it is that interesting part where yeah like some some things will always be really annoying because they made mm. a big point of it and then they abandon it and other things are like we'll get to this someday and then if they decide they're not going to get to it then you kind of like are able to deal with the fact that they're just a a thorn or like textural yeah. world building off to the side which i do think ultimately yeah. the council and the black ball consortia become where it's like yeah. they never level up to being the main villains but they're around enough and they mm. feature in this final arc that it doesn't feel like they're yeah. they're pointless i guess it's yeah. just no it's just when when you're running out of road and what I talked about, where it's like, right, so they leave Madiri, they retake the ship, then they're forced to land, they're surrounded by the council, and they take off again, and then there's just bodies everywhere. Like, that's where it felt a little bit messy to me. But yeah, knowing yeah. that this was supposed to be, a, like, we were maybe supposed to spend some time with them, you know, maybe. Uh, so yeah, he, he, you know, he recapped the story so far, he laid out what he has intended the myth arc to have been all along, concerning the Guiding Hand and Adaptus and the five Cybertrons and trying to clear space and build a god gun and 
and get rid of the monster and then of course it turns out the monster you know he's summoned it all of this stuff uh rung is god the guiding hand are all the other people that they've met along the way interestingly he did say that the knights of cybertron aren't real which i feel he didn't stick to i think <laughs> he may mean that like cyber utopia isn't real and like their legend is not as described but then like almost every word of the guiding hands is but he did explicitly say multiple times in this script that the knights of cybertron were not real but um, yeah i guess that, that probably <laughs> is like shorthand for it where it's like they're not actually knights who discovered anything because even even in the book it's like they got sick mm-hmm. after like one adventure and then went to a medical facility and got euthanized is <laughs> it's the ultimate thing that the knights of cybertron did like they never actually achieved anything yeah yeah like, yeah like they're, they're not a fighting force that went out conquering like planets for for cybertron it's just yeah <laughs> they, they accidentally euthanized themselves <laughs> yes love that for them uh so then you know we return to like right and here is what I want to happen in the next, you know, 12 issues or whatever. And it was, they were going to kind of stay on Midiri when they landed there. They would have their adventure. Uh, there was a version where instead of accidentally ending up in what seems like the afterlife, they had to, like, break into the afterlife. You know, these are these, like, one-sentence concepts he loves to jot down. There was a cut thing where the, the uh, Omega Guardians don't know who Adaptus is but they know Adaptus is, like, among them and, and stuff like that. That had to be chopped. Uh, they were then going to move Madiri itself with the Geobomb tech, because the Geobombs can move a planet. So we're going to move Madiri into this area of space. It ends up being some stuff with the spaceships instead. Then it largely plays out as it did. Adaptus, you know, activates the drill, and out comes Megatron, and giant Primus, or what did we call him, Cybertronus. <laughs> Good name, we should have told him about that. We get to the, you know, the plot point of, we can we don't want to blow this thing up because there's people on it, so we need to open some matrices, you know, Rung has to do it. The 12 people that get a matrix were going to be ever so slightly different. So it was, as he wrote it down, uh, well, Rodimus, Ultra Magnus, Rewind, Chrome Dome, Nautica, Tailgate, Swerve, Ratchet, Anode, First Aid, Fulcrum, and Croc. He wanted some scavengers to open some matrices. He couldn't justify it, even with them turning their lives around. They were Decepticons in the war. Chrome Dome and Rewind, he said, he loved them as characters, which is why he wanted them to be the Twelve, but with everything Chrome Dome did at the New Institute and Rewind trying to murder baby Megatron couldn't justify it, so I it, it's came. interesting that he does include the kind of, like, the moral reasons why mm-hmm. characters couldn't, because then surely, like, surely, like, almost every character can't do this then. Well, if we're going to take the stance the Necrobot did, that, like, not one of you doesn't have a flower, then... Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it is interesting that, like, you know, Chrome Dome obviously hates himself for what he did in the New Institute, and then he spends the whole book trying to say, Chrome Dome, it's fine. And then the Matrix is like, it is not fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then we we discussed that with Megatron like he wanting to do better is good but like that doesn't mean you didn't do the things you did but yeah uh so this did happen but slightly differently two of the candidates were going to have been injured or killed so well who did it in the main book and in this one Cyclonus had to step up on open matrixes so Cyclonus would have gotten to open one and it would have worked which is nice for him and then from here we have all of this was not in the book. <laughs> so <laughs> the Omega Guardians 
it was going to be stated that the Warren is the nervous system of a dead Omega Guardian. In these two universes, at the point where these two Warrens, because there's a Warren in each one, touch, it's threadbare space, and there's a port. If you widen the portal there enough, the Guardians can return. They were going to portray the Omega Guardians as tendrils of energy. You know, they are never drawn any. Uh, well, you know, from. Uh, the Furman days, like, do you, <laughs> were the Guardians expressed in any way other than They're, those, like, stone Guardians? Yeah, people got confused. They thought yeah. the stone people were Omega Guardians. I believe the TF Wiki page has a picture of them, but they are not. They are merely, yeah. like, vassals or, mm-hmm. or Omega Guardian Guardians, I guess. In, yeah, in that. So, yeah, they were going to be these, like, energy tentacles or whatever. They were going to be causing mayhem, uh, like, blowing up ships, blowing up people, like, killing people left and right. Most notably, they would have killed Rodimus. So, Matt, sad. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, it just seems like they killed Rodimus because they endeavour that to stop this, they need to fly one of their Lost Lights. um, Well, Megatron's is actually called the Last Light, isn't it? But if if they fly one into the portal, detonate the engines, it will close, it will collapse the portal, but whoever is, you know, that ship will be, everyone on it will die. Megatron offers to do it, which makes sense. He knows that the knights don't exist now, so he will never stand trial, so he will be found guilty. Um, so he's like, well, let me do this. Uh, and he explicitly says, I, I failed to save the functionless universe, so let me do this. Which, very in keeping. Like Megatron actually, I know he gets a lot of little character moments, like, hey, I'm a medic now. But he has very little like actual impact on the ending, as is written. Other than, like, he can't open a Matrix when he thought he might be able to. Yeah, I mean, but it's my favourite kind of thing with these... these. I mean, again, to, to bring it back to Lost, just because we're <laughs> talking about Lost a lot recently, is yeah. uh, on a plot level, some things can be unsatisfying as long as you nail the character beats. And, yes. like, Megatron doesn't get to do anything, like, majorly plot-related, but it is so integral to that character's arc that, like... Yeah. It, it really does make all that difference. And I think, but I also think what's really amazing is that, like, the way you describe this ending also sounds like it's a really satisfying closure to both Rodimus mm. and Megatron. Like, both endings work in different ways and highlighting different parts of the characters' kind of like emotional states or like, yeah. uh, like climaxes to their stories. Like, I think they... he acknowledged that. Well, I was, I'll, I'll get to it in a second and I'll elaborate on it, but like, he also said that he was actually quite taken aback by how much people reacted to Megatron leaving the book, and he planned for him to be gone even longer. Like, if he had gotten all the issues he wanted, Megatron would have been gone for, like, three and a half years. And he was actually really shocked that, you know, even with it being shorter, that people really were vocal. Because, I mean, I feel like whenever we talk about Autobot Megatron, it's got a negative edge to it. Like, certain fans hate Autobot Megatron. But I do think there were a lot of people who, like me, like, you don't have to be making a moral decision to say you like it, but, like... I really enjoyed Megatron in the book. So regardless of, like, judgment of him, losing him was kind of shitty. Like, I, I missed him being around, but... Yeah, it, yeah. it was it was the secret <laughs> spice that no one realised the book needed until it was there, and then taking away, like... It's, yeah. it's, it's missing that, like, one thing. Yeah. And, I mean, if this had been for almost any other publisher... I mean, including this one, to be fair, but, like, mm. if this had been at Marvel, you know there would have been, like, a five-issue, like, unworthy Megatron, like, <laughs> miniseries going on at the same time as the main book. Yeah. And, 
uh, so I mean, Meg- Megatron's rolling around shirtless with one arm and a tattered <laughs> cape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure IDW would love to had have like a book on the stands with Megatron in the title. Yeah. But I also cannot imagine in, in any way how you pitch this book saying like so. You know this other book where Megatron is now secretly good. We're gonna have the alt universe adventures of good Megatron yeah. in in the alternate universe, which yeah. will only make sense if you've read sixty issues of this one book. <laughs> oh yeah, and one of the main characters is gonna be a pre-transformation main villain of the first book. Uh, <laughs> But yes, before Megatron can make his sacrifice, uh, Rodimus, so they all think Rodimus is dead. Rodimus will board one of the ships, fly off by himself, refuse all radio transmissions, and sacrifice himself to save everybody. And Robert specifically calls out how he thinks actually a lot of fans probably would have really liked this as an ending to Rodimus. And maybe some of that is because the ending we get for him is he just can't move on from it and he is he is the one that seems to have the saddest life out of all of them and like some of them are like like rewind stuck as a fucking usb stick (laughs) but yeah rodimus just kind of is a journeyman on starships and just never could recapture that feeling without his crew kind of thing and this is like a the classic hero sacrifices himself ending and it's also that he made a real point that he wanted him to do it anonymously, that he had truly let go of ego, that he wasn't anything like Getaway in the end, that kind of thing. Would this have also let him do the... There's two versions of the ship ending, because obviously like, he's going to detonate the engines. Is that going to set off the engines in the same way? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Because that will, will come up in a second, and that is explicitly after he did that. But I guess if you were in a world where you keep this book going... You, somebody would be like, oh yeah, when Rodimus sacrificed himself, we got an alternate Rodimus, and he's like evil with no memories or some <laughs> shit like that, you know. Rodimus Unicronus is a character that does exist, and he has a shitty goatee. It's wonderful. But no, here he, he sacrifices himself. <laughs> so that, I think, would have been the end of the book, because then everything that comes after this has the title of Epilogue, which I think would have been the special. And what you end up with is, so Functionless Cybertron... So I I should say here, some of this stuff is actually a valid reading of the text as given, and I just didn't really pick up on it. (laughs) And then maybe you did, and you just didn't say anything, but like... Yeah, um, and I knew all of this stuff, and I didn't... Yeah, of course, of course. So Functionless Cybertron is still around once they save the day. It's fully populated, there's no Vector Sigma, there's no myth of Primus, there's no councils, it's just, here is a happy world with a moon ready to go. He intended that to be they made their own cyber-utopia. Through the course of their journey, they made a cyber-utopia. What's better? Is it <laughs> millions of years of, of slavery and despotism, <laughs> or is it millions of years of war? Um... <laughs> well, no, because all these new people have known neither. <laughs> I don't know. Have they? No well, way. no, because he's talk- I guess he's talking... And I guess some of the survivors of the council have lived under slavery, but then there's also... They were going to bury Rung on Luna 1, and that would have ignited the hotspot again. Right. And okay. then you get a billion new people. Anode helps birth them. Uh, Megatron and Minimus Ambus. He made a point of saying not rule, but then also said rule. So they're like co-leaders of Cyber Utopia. And Megatron promises to live by the three questions that Optimus asked of the Senate back in Chaos Theory, which is... How did you acquire your power? In whose interest do you exercise it? And how can we get rid of you? Um, so it's kind of like a, a final nod to Optimus and his his friendship with him. There's there's that like intense planning again, where it's like, 
<laughs> do people remember these three questions? <laughs> I do, because it kind of makes Optimus look a badass, and he often does not look like that throughout the course of IDW. <laughs> Does when Roberts writes in there. Yeah, so they drop off, they send some people back where they came from, uh, like Nickel and Deathsaurus, who was apparently still going to be around. Yeah, everyone's favourite. Yeah, of course. But then they come to realise, hey, we can't just keep space adventuring. Bumblebee took responsibility at the beginning of all these books and we all flew off. Like he, it went to shit and Bumblebee died and then he was back. Um, (laughs) But he did stay behind. (laughs) A great summary of the other books. Oh yeah, oh yeah, look. I realize like, ignoring the, the time travel stuff that happened. I know. Over the course of this podcast, we have frequently said the shit book and the other book in a very derogatory way. I will maintain it as worse than more than meets the eye. But by the end of this entire IDW sector, I long for the days of the beginning of Robots in Disguise. I think that book is actually kind of all right. Uh, or I mean, better I, than I, kind of all right. Like, I think my biggest complaint with the the, the the barber side of the of the books is more the art is so much less appealing, mm. and that made it a tougher read at points. Mm. I yeah. think the overall arc of what is going on makes sense. It is just less interesting because I do think I, Bar- Barbara is writing to a a more standard interpretation of yeah, Locke's yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. And Prowl is the only one who feels like he's got any energy, but at a certain point, Prowl becomes more of a hindrance than a benefit to that book, yeah, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Starscream, I like Windblade, I like, you know, what's going on there. Um, I think they adding Optimus to their side of things made their book worse, whereas adding Megatron made this book better. But it, anyway, Bumblebee took responsibility for Cybertron and he tried to make it work. They all flew off and had wacky adventures. They realised, we've got to help Cyberutopia, we've got to protect it as a planet, we're going to stay behind. But obviously, they're like, well, we're going to miss all of our adventures. So the same proposal happens of, let's do another quantum duplicate and one of us, you know, one of the ships can adventure forever. We see that ship, it is explicitly captained by Megatron Solo, whereas in the main book it's a co-captain situation, as we knew. Yeah, and then they were going to have a to-do list. <laughs> it's going to have some, like, what's their new quest? And two of the options were find Rung, or see what this opens, and it was going to be a key they found in Rung's office. Because, you know, as the book ended, they found an office and they didn't remember Rung. <laughs> but then he was, like does this undermine some of what I was doing? So, you know, I guess the, all that went. But And then uh, I think it ended in pretty much the same way. And, you know, as you mentioned, over to you kind of line seems very crucial to all of this, although it is not written here. So there you go. It's not, it's not like, absolute bombshells, but, like, hearing stuff like Rodimus was supposed to die saving, him, uh, saving everybody and, like, Megatron was going to live, not be <laughs> executed by Prowl. I guess the way you get around that is that like Cyber Utopia offers him diplomatic immunity or some shit. Like that. I don't know, but yeah, he joins the council with all the other like yeah. ca- like all the other places and it becomes fourteen colonies <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just some other very tiny odds and sods. Uh, the Spark Eaters were intended to have been a failed experiment of the Grand Architect, one of his many fucking around with babies and tree robots. And I mean, a lot of that seemed to be Scorponok, not the Grand Architect, but yeah. So Spark Eaters were supposed to be part of that. Because like we've already had a conclusion to that, though, mm-hmm. surely, with what went on with Brainstorm, so... You would think. <laughs> I'm, I'm just intrigued how you're going to tie that in, whether or not like Brainstorm like finds the gun somewhere, or... It's a double rather... paradox. <laughs> yeah, because like, the original idea of it being like the loop paradox of 
Brainstorm sees a, a functional spark eater and therefore creates a gun that makes them is interesting. Adding in the other wrinkle of, well, also spark eaters existed in a different way and Brainstorm did not was not actually the creator of all spark eaters. <laughs> Star Saber was supposed to have a band of followers called the Pilgrims, uh, who were like all god-fearing, murderous acolytes looking for revenge and they were going to happen upon the Lost Light looking for Cyclonus, not Getaway has hired and summoned Star Saber. That probably would have been kind of cool. <laughs> like Star Saber's army of the faithful versus Cyclonus. I'm just into all of the Japanese Transformers <laughs> stuff when Roberts pulls it in. Like, it's yeah. very, very Can funny. the breast force make it here? And then a final one would be... <laughs> of course we've got to end with the scavengers. He made the comment that when he, the scavengers got trapped in... Ostensibly trapped in Garrus 9 forever when they went through the portal... It was known at this point by the audience that the book was ending. So he was like, I could actually trick people into thinking this is the final fate of the scavengers. <laughs> Which I think is lovely and cruel. Obviously it doesn't go that way. But yeah. If you're going to be cancelled early, you might as well wield it to your advantage, I suppose. I mean, this also leads me back to like, we didn't, we didn't ask... Yeah. in our interview about the kind of the structural stuff going on with the scavengers and whether or not he would have liked to... I was trying to hint around at some yeah, of that yeah, with the yeah. structure question, and I didn't want to prod him too much. And no, 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 no. Book of shit. But I'm, like, just, I'm just wondering: is is the funniest example of this? Like they do do a scavengers issue every six issues, mm. and then you end with the scavengers getting trapped in Garrus Nine, and then when it's time for their next issue, it it's not doesn't happen. It, yeah. It's not a scavengers issue oh, until man. the very end, where you reveal that they actually were in there. But yeah. like you get like wield entire... your structure, yeah, like. Like, um, Tom King's, obviously, you always come back to Last I somehow find a way back to Tom King. <laughs> His Human Target book, it was, each issue was kind of a spotlight on a member of the Justice League International, and you get to the Batman issue, and you have Batman on the cover, and then the whole issue is the main character is looking over his shoulder and trying to second guess, Batman would do this, he's going to be that guy in disguise, wait, no, he'd be watching us from over there, Batman never shows up in the issue. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the one I always think of. I don't know if I mentioned it in this. Is is the unwritten, which is uh, Mike Carey and Peter Gross doing a doing a book. It's it's really really wonderful. Uh, like peak kind of like late era Vertigo book for DC. Mm. But like it's it's a book about storytelling. Yeah. And the the sixth issue of it is is about a a like foul mouth criminal who is trapped inside an equivalent like Winnie the Pooh style book as like a <laughs> as like an animated rabbit and he is like fighting against the constraints of the narrative with the narratives like Mr. Bun woke up this morning all very happy and that's like, fuck off <laughs> like fuck off narrations and like he's trying to like break his way out and then every six issues is coming back to this Mr. Bun character nice. like fighting against a new genre of storytelling as he's trying to like make his way out of this universe it is wonderful mm. and like how it eventually ties into the main narrative is almost exactly how the scavengers do it, and right. it is the thing that I was reading these scavengers issues and going like, oh, I really wish it was doing yeah. this. Like every six issues, we yeah. like pop back in, or I think it's every twelve issues actually. Like we pop back in and got a a recap on what was going on with with the scavengers in this way. Well, that's all we've got for now. Maybe who knows? We'll hit James up again for a follow up interview in a year when the notebooks are out and everything is on the table. Probably not, but maybe. But that is the real end of the podcast. The, the podcast has ended like three times at this point. Yeah, I know. We, we, we didn't know we were getting the interview, so the final comic issue was the final issue. And then there was almost a pressure to end the podcast with the interview, but then I was conscious of 
James doesn't want to hear us plug three podcasts like while we've got him on the phone. And now we've got this bonus episode, so this is fully it. I don't know if you want to say anything else about our journey through, you know, the movies and the books. I, I, I think it has been shockingly entertaining. Like, when you pitched it to me, I was like, this is one of the dumb ones, like Kiki Punchy Men or whatever. <laughs> Which, if you don't know, was when we did The Raid and... Uh, <laughs> John Wick. And John Wick, yeah. And I was like, this is just one to fill numbers, isn't it? But I, I And I thought maybe the link is too tenuous, like these things are too different. I think it ended up actually being really fascinating to see the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this shit. I like setting myself dumb tasks <laughs> and, and like doing this thing. Normally I do this on my own, and so it has been <laughs> nice having like someone else to bounce my madness yeah. off of over these past few months. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to have something like relatively like actual low homework going forward <laughs> like in comparison yeah, yeah, as we're yeah. about to watch seven seasons of television but no about this is... depression <laughs> about depression and and the failures of the hollywood system um... <laughs> yeah that's gonna be fun um yeah i mean it you know these i've, I've said many times these, these books are very near and dear to my heart it is wonderful to have gotten to express all of this in a vaguely public forum yeah um, i'm thanks I'm, for the listener bump james for i'm so so glad that we've got to actually like talk comic books as well because I feel like there was maybe like two three years ago before we were like how are we gonna wrap how up do we crack comics yeah. How, like yeah it was it was how do we crack comics and our first attempt was on our Watchmen episode which I actually think is like a really good episode for us I, our Watchmen, Watchmen podcast is very good it's just no one's <laughs> ever gonna listen to it because it's buried in a feed somewhere maybe I'll give that its own feed and see if it finds a life somewhere but yeah nothing ever ends nothing ever ends very it's, good podcast. is that one I would recommend that one it, it does have us talking comics but yeah it was comics music and games were the kind mm. of the three that we'd like hit around in terms of like how do we do a podcast and this so i'm glad we got to crack one yeah. of those three like our favorite games of of, of each year are, are that would um, so much work our that favorite one. albums by our favorite artist you know all this sort of stuff and we landed with this so thank you for keeping at it and being like what about this podcast idea what about this podcast idea and on that note that is the end of this podcast if you listened to the interview last week and you listened to the end you would have heard these plugs before but we're going to do them again um another podcast is coming i am largely considering i don't i'm not gonna say never again i'm thinking about packing in podcasting our white whale forever has been bojack horseman um we've had dibs on that on the real world for a really long time sorry jerome uh he's not listening to this um <laughs> so we're gonna do bojack it's called untitled bojack horseman project if you search that on spotify apple anywhere else you can get podcasts um you can subscribe now episodes aren't going to be coming until november um, but you can subscribe now, and then when they do come, they're there. Um, so, you can yeah. also you can tweet us about Bojack Horseman because like when this drops, we should both have started watching the show. Maybe. I assume <laughs> we'll have to uh, talk about that off air. But yes. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to download a few episodes and watch them like on commutes and whatnot. Nice. But yeah, I'm I'm excited. I will I will try and as as X or Twitter dies, <sighs> I will post my favorite screenshots of Bojack. Yeah. Pro tip, people: don't launch a podcast. Um, Twitter account <laughs> when you're trying to like garner engagement while the site is literally burning to the ground. We are very grateful James gave us a bit of a bump with the interview promotion and stuff. Right, anyway, uh, this has been more and less than meets the eye and uh, there certainly was more and less <laughs> than met the eye <laughs> and it has been a delirious fever dream of a podcast and I will miss my glorious gay robots very very much 
Uh, and yes, until we're back, talking about a depressed horse. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Matt. Audience, roll out. Not you, Bumblebee. Every single time I hear our intro, I laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> this is why, why we fight, why we lay awake. This is why, this is why we fight. When we die, we will die with our arms unbound. This is why, this is why we fight. So come to me, come to me now. Why?